would you take a few moments and uh, just listen to the word of the Lord today? I, uh, I'm certainly not one of those pastors that think I have to preach every time, every service. I, uh, I feel like that I, you know, I, I love to give people opportunities. And uh, there's lots of people that are much better preacher than I am and are much more skilled than I am. But today I just felt since it's the first Sunday of the year and I've been gone for a couple weeks, I just wanted to share a few things to prepare us for the new year. How many this morning got a sheet of the eight things that we're praying for? These are the things that we're praying for during the revival. Uh, we're praying for a spiritual awakening at Christ Point, of course, the city of Galena and the four-state region and beyond. We're praying for system structures and strategies. Because how many knows that people can come, but your system... And your structure has to be strong enough to contain the people. Somebody asked Young Yi Cho several years ago, they said, Pastor, what was the secret of church growth? He said, well, I'm not sure if there is a secret. All I know is that I prayed in structure. I prayed in structure. I prayed in structure. Structure is very important. Numerical and spiritual growth, finances and resources, favor with the AG, wisdom in our leadership, to become a missional church with a global impact, I don't know what that means, but whatever God wants to do, we want to reach beyond the walls. And then we want to pray for our Sunday services. And how many would agree with me that we've been praying every Wednesday night? I know we had was off for a Christmas break, but every Wednesday night for almost two years we've been praying. How many can sense a difference in the church services as a result of us praying? And so we, we, we can't lose that. And so I am asking you as your pastor, your spiritual leader, I'm asking you to dedicate and consecrate yourself for the next 21 days in prayer and in fasting. I am not dictating to you what you should fast simply because I trust that you are a mature Christian and you can hear from the Holy Spirit. And some of us have certain restrictions on our diets, health issues that you can't. We can't just all fast the same thing. And I understand that. Some of you take medicine. You can't miss certain meals. So I'm asking you to ask the Holy Spirit what you should give up. And it should be something that's of worth to you, a sacrifice. So if you don't eat breakfast, it's really not a fast. Am I right? If you usually don't eat breakfast, don't say, well, I'm fasting breakfast. If you normally don't eat it, you know. And so uh, it's kind of like me saying I'd, I'm going to fast shrimp. Well, I, don't, I hate shrimp. You know, I just don't like it, you know. So it's, it's not a sacrifice to me. So, um, or, or I usually don't eat fish, so it's not a sacrifice. Now, chicken, that is a sacrifice to me. Can I hear an amen? Steak is not a sacrifice at all, but chicken is a sacrifice. So pick something that's a sacrifice, and this is what I'm asking you to do, and I'm reiterating this. I'm asking us, and this is, listen to my heart, I'm asking that we all pray for the same thing. We all be in unity, one mind and one heart, we pray over these things. Now, you can pray over your needs, but let's just make sure that we pray together as a church over this stuff, the things that I have behind you. I'm asking you to pick something on the 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I'm also asking you, as a church, let's read through the Bible in a year. Now, I was going to promote this at Vision Sunday because this is part of my vision for this year is for all of us to read through the Bible, but I wanted us to get started early. And so... If you do not have an app, if you don't have a smartphone that you can download the app, that's okay. Just get a plan. You can go on the internet 
Or there's some Bibles. I know some Bibles will have a daily Bible reading plan in the back. So you go to the Christian bookstore, you can get one. There's all types of methods that you could use. But uh, I am asking if you have a smartphone. It would be awesome if all of us could follow the same plan. And it has videos for you to watch to explain the section that you're reading. You're going to read through the whole Bible. And it also teaches you to pray through the book of Psalms. So on the first day, I'm starting it tomorrow. So if I look at my phone, uh, it, you know, you can go to the app and then it will tell you how to get started and then you'll start praying through the book of Psalms. So every day I'll be reading a psalm and praying a psalm as I read through the Bible. So it's a, it's a brilliant way for us to develop spiritual disciplines in our life. And so uh, it works if you work it. Now this is the thing. If you miss, if you mess up in fasting and uh, you cheated and you went and got a cheeseburger and a you know, Coca-Cola cake and a milkshake and fried Oreos and you just really blew it. As you can tell, I like all those things except for the cheeseburger. And um, then I'm asking you to get back on course, all right? Don't have the attitude of, well, since I messed up, I'm just going to just, just, just give it up. Let's not have that attitude, all right? If you mess up, let's just get back on course, all right? And uh, I remember when I started, fa- I, I was 13 years old, and I told you the story before, but maybe I, it's been a while, but it's, it's humorous. My, I was living with my grandma. My grandma was an awesome cook. I mean, we're in the hills of West Virginia, and that's all you could do is cook, you know? And so uh, she was raised in old school Pentecost, and so I come home from school one day, and I determined that morning I was going to fast, you know? I was going to seek the Lord for three days with no food, first time. So I come home, and lo and behold, my grandmother made apple dumplings. And not just apple dumplings, but the cinnamon was just rolling off the side of that bowl. And then she made a chocolate cake. And she said to me when I got home, baby, I knew you loved this chocolate cake, and I made it for you because I was thinking about you this morning. So I said, well, thank you, Grandma. I think I'm just going to go lay down for a little bit. So (laughs) I went laid down and decided I was going to break it and eat it. So I messed up. So anyway, so how many knows that God can forgive you? Amen. And listen, if you break the fast, listen, you're not sinning. It's a commitment to yourself. Fasting gets you in a position to hear what God has already been saying. God is not saying anything new. God's been talking for a long time. The problem is we're not hearing His voice. So fasting puts us in a position where we can hear God's voice with clarity. All right? It's a commitment to yourself. All right? So let's, you know, let's keep pushing forward in the 21 days as we pray over this and read the Scriptures together. And you're going to hear me talk about it every Sunday. All right? So I'm pushing you and I'm challenging you. I'm not just telling you to read the Bible. I'm actually giving you a tool. All right? And so uh, I'm asking you to let's, let's do it together. Amen? And, uh, and I know that you will and I trust that you will. Tonight, for a few moments, I want to just speak on the thought, things to remember. There are some things I want you to remember as we go forth in 2020. I can't even believe it's 2020. Like, where did the time go, you know? And it seems like the days and the years and the months just go by very quickly. And so, uh, but this is a new year with new challenges with uh, new perspectives, 
And so as we go forth in this new year, there are some things that I want you to remember that I think is important. So if you're taking notes, I think that you can write them down, uh, take them on your iPhone, whatever. But I think that we need to remember these four things that I want to bring out to you. The number one thing I want to bring out to you that I want you to remember is this. You will never possess what you are unwilling to pursue. And I think that's a great principle. If you're not willing to pursue something, if you're not willing to have the tenacity to go after something, then my friends, you will never pursue it. You will never possess what you are unwilling to pursue. You have to make an effort to pursue after the things that you're believing God for. If you are believing God to be out of debt, you can't just sit around hoping and praying that you'll be out of debt. You've got to develop a plan. You've got to develop a strategy. And you've got to stick to the plan. Even though it may not be a perfect plan, it is a plan. And you stick with it. And you, get, you, you, you stay focused on it. And, and you work at it. You put blood, sweat, and tears into it. You don't give up. You walk in a spirit of tenacity, bulldog tenacity. If you're not willing to possess, if you're not willing to go after something with tenacity and go after something with endurance, then my friends, you're never going to possess what God has for you. You will never possess what you're unwilling to pursue. You've got to pursue after things. So what do you believe in God for? What, uh, what things in your life do you want to accomplish this year? Is it, do you want to be in a better uh, financial situation? Do you want to be a better steward of your money? Do you want to develop a more of a, do you want to develop a culture of prayer and Bible study with your children? Just talking about it is not going to get anything done. There's a graveyard up the road here, and there are hundreds of people buried in that graveyard, and what's sad is a lot of them are buried with good intentions. Good intentions do not do anything, folks. You've got to be willing to go beyond the good intentions and put action behind your good intention. So whatever you believe in God for, whatever you want to accomplish in your life, whatever goals you have, you've got to pursue after it. You've got to put some feet to it. You've got to, you've got to be focused on it. If you want to go back to school, you can have every excuse in the world. You're too old. You don't have the money. Listen, you know, excuses are for losers. You've got to make up your mind whether you're going to do it or not. You know, you can make excuses or you can just sit around and like the four leopards in, uh, like the lepers in the Old Testament, they just sit around waiting to die. You can make a decision, just sit around, wait and die, or get up and do something. So you've got to pursue after it, all right? Whatever it may be. I don't, and that's something that you have to dis discern. That's something that you have to pray about. I, I, I'm not, uh, I don't, you, that's your relationship, but you've got to pursue after some things. You know, Jesus was a great example of somebody that pursued after things. And one of the things about Jesus that I love is that Jesus always pursued people. I loved it. Jesus pursued people. He just didn't sit around waiting for people to come to him. Jesus actually pursued people. He went to people. In other words, Jesus went to the marketplace because that's where people were. He went to the boat because he knew that's where fishermen would be. He went to the synagogue because he knew that people would be there. He even went to people's homes. He ate with them because that's where people were. Jesus was a pursuer of people and he did not let the negativity of religious leaders stop him from pursuing after people. And some of us have let the negativity and the opinions of other people stop us from pursuing what God wants us to pursue. And you cannot let the negativity and the opinions of other people or their perceptions stop you in pursuing what God has put in your heart to pursue. Jesus 
Jesus' heart was to pursue after people, and he pursued after people even though he was ridiculed, even though he was made fun of, even though he was mocked, he was called the devil, he, he, his intentions was questioned. He was very focused on what his mission was, and his mission was to seek and save that which was lost. And as a church, we've got to be focused on our mission. And what is our mission? Is to develop disciples who love God with all their head, heart, hands, and feet. Head. We've got to know God. How am I to know God this year? Well, I want you to join a class. I want you to join a small group. I want you to engage the Bible. I want you to read the Bible. That engages the mind. I want you to connect with people. That's the heart. Get in a small group when we start up in February. Engage the heart with people. Join, come to church. Worship God. Love people. Love God. Hands. Serve. God has not called you to sit sour and soak. He's called you to do something. You have gifts and callings that God is calling you to do something. And feet. He's called you to share the gospel. We've got to be very clear about our mission and go forth to the mission, what God has called us to do. Jesus' mission was people. And he didn't let negativity or the opinions of other people stop him. But Jesus was a pursuer of people and he went where people were. Because you will never possess what you are unwilling to pursue. So Jesus' Jesus's mission was people and he was willing to pursue after them. And you've got to find out what you're willing to pursue after. And if you're going to do it, it's going to demand sacrifice. It's not going to come easy. It's going to demand sacrifice. The Bible says in Luke chapter 9 and verse number 6, the Bible says that Jesus departed and went to different towns preaching and the gospel and healing everywhere. He didn't let anything stop him. He went everywhere because he knew that's where people were. So number one, one of the things I want you to remember tonight is you will never possess what you're unwilling to pursue. You see, you've got to pursue it. You've got to have tenacity. Jesus' mission was people and he didn't let anybody stop him. You know, I think one of the things that we fail to realize is that Jesus understood a principle, and that was this. Your dream is connected to a person. Your dream is not connected to a building. Your dream is not connected to a job. Your dream is not connected to a house or a particular car. Your dream is connected to a relationship. Lawyers need new clients. Doctors need patients. Singers need musicians. Salesmen needs customers. Pastors need people. Because everything that you do in life involves people. It involves relationships. So your dream is connected to a relationship. And that's why it's important to cultivate relationships. I know that some of us, you know, maybe you don't like relationships. Maybe you don't like people. Well, let me just inform you, life is about people. Ministry is about people. And we have to engage people. Because your dreams is connected to a person. Amen. When God called Abraham to leave his country, he called him to go to a particular place, a particular location, to a particular people, because God was going to raise up a particular people to be a particular nation, because God uses people. Yes, I know that God looks at the heart, but man looks on the outward appearance. And that's what we fail to realize. We can use the excuse that God looks at the heart, but you're not God. I'm not God. And the only thing I could judge is what I see. And that's why we got to bear fruits of, to repentance. We got to let our actions and our life bear the resemblance of the change and conversion in our heart. Now, I know you can't please people. And I know that people are going to say what they want to do. But you get my point. 
That shouldn't be an excuse for us not to live right and to be Jesus to people. Jesus said, let your good works be seen to the point that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I was coming home and I was going through a toll booth and uh, in Virginia there is four toll booths and they're all four dollars. So, I mean, it's like really expensive just to go down the toll booth, the, the, the highway. And so I was going down and I was, um, I, I almost forgot that there was tolls and so I was, uh, found some money in my wallet and so um, I went up to the, uh, to the first toll, paid for it, went up another 30, 40 miles and there was another toll and I just heard a still small voice in my spirit say, I want you to pay for the person behind you. And I instantly thought, Lord, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to have enough money to make it through the toll booths myself. You know, and I just felt like the Lord compelled me to do it. And so I, um, I went up to the, the window and gave my money. I was hesitant to pay for the person behind me because I wanted to make sure I had enough money for myself. But I, I went ahead and did it. And I told the woman, I said, I'd like to pay for the person behind me, and, uh, even though there was no one behind me. And I said, there's nobody behind me, but when they do come, I want you to pay for this person. It's a random act of kindness. And she stopped. I'll never forget that. She just stopped, stared at me, and it seemed like it was for eternity. She just stared at me. And I'm like, you want to take my money? <laughs> she took my money and she said, this never happens. So thank you. I was like, well, let me see if I can pay for somebody else. <laughs> Let's be Jesus to people. Everything in life is connected to a person. Everything is connected to a person. There are two types of people in life. Those who already know that you have something that they need. There are people in your life that need you. They need you to be a mentor. They need you to be a father to them. They need you to be a mother to them. There are some people in your life that need you. And they know that you have what they need. That's why I was connected to my pastor. I saw something in him that I needed. So, number one, there's two types of people. Those who already know that you have something that they need. And number two, those who do not know yet that you have something that they need. You have gifts and callings and you're called to use them to bless somebody. Number two, one of the things I want you to learn tonight, one of the things I want you to remember is fatigue can be costly. Fatigue can be costly. Fatigue can be costly. It's interesting. I was praying uh, last night and I was asking the Lord about a particular issue and, uh, and I was telling the Lord, I don't know what to do about it, so would you speak to me today? And that was my exact words. And so tonight before church, I was just minding my business walking in and an individual came to me and said, I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying this to you. And they said to me, the exact same thing that I prayed about last night. And so I want you to be aware that God really does hear your requests. He really does hear what you're praying. God is concerned about you because God is a father. And every father is concerned about the health of their children. God is concerned about your health, not only spiritually, but he's also concerned about you physically. Now let me say this. And let me say it loud and clear, ladies and gentlemen. It's important that you hear me. And I have been very, very guilty. Guilty. Guilty is all over the top of my forehead. I am guilty, guilty, guilty of this. Guilty of not taking a day off because I'm thinking, man, I've got to work this thing because 
The devil is working day and night, so I'm going to work day and night. You know what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us? The devil should not be our example. Jesus should be our example. Jesus rested, and so you should rest. And I know as Pentecostals, we don't want to hear that, and I'm preaching to the choir, but we need to take time to rest. I think that our pastoral staff and our worship pastor and everybody, everybody needs a sabbatical. They need a rest of their mind and their heart. And sometimes we don't think it's spiritual, but you need to read the Bible and find out that God worked six days and He rested. It is not God's will for you to work seven days a week. I don't care if how much in debt you are. I don't care if you like it or not. It's not God's will for you to work every day. It's not. And sometimes in our masculine culture, our ma- we want to demonstrate our masculinity to how much we can provide for our family, and, and it's not scriptural. I'm sorry. It's not biblical. God rested, and you should rest. You should rest. You should take care of yourself. Your bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you should take care of it. One bad decision can cost you. You know what? When you are tired, you will say things that you regret to say, how many would just raise your hand and say you've been tired before and you told off a few people? Come on, let's just be honest. All right, and the rest of you are lying. Come on. You, you just, how many would say, Pastor, I've been so tired before, I wanted to tell him off. Okay? And, you know, and then, then, you know, you go to bed and you sleep and you eat, and then a couple of days later you're like, now why did I think that? Now, why? Because when you are tired, you don't think right. You don't think right. You become more offended easily. You become more sensitive. When you res- listen to pastor, when you rest, it is repair time. Say that with me. When it's rest, it's repair time. It's not a loss of productivity. It's renewing. It's receiving. It's refreshing. Jesus separated himself in times in the New Testament to rest. Listen to pastor. Work time is giving time. Rest time is receiving time. I'm going to say that again. Work time is giving and rest time is receiving. Say that with me. Work time is... Come on, church. Work time is... Rest time is... There you go. Work time is giving while rest time is receiving. It's repair time. When you are resting, your body is resting, your mind is resting, and it's renewal, it's refreshing. Jesus did it, and Jesus is our example. And that is why during the Christmas break, I had no problem canceling church on Sunday night and two Wednesday nights, even though it was a holiday, because I realized it's okay to take a break. That doesn't mean we're less spiritual. It's okay that we cancel church on a Sunday night once in a while. It doesn't mean we're less spiritual. It means that somebody has a little bit of wisdom that we need to break the routine once in a while to give us a break. Can I hear an amen? It's okay to take a break. Mark chapter 6 and verse number 31. Mark chapter 6, verse number 31. Listen to Mark as he describes our Lord. And he said to them, Come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while for there were many coming and going and they didn't even have time to eat that describes our culture have you ever been so busy that you forgot to eat 
This is the culture that we live in. We got day planners, we got iPhones, iPads, we got calendars, we got meetings here and there, going, doing this, going that. We're very busy. You've got to take time to rest because Jesus is our example. Work time is giving while rest time is receiving. Work time is giving, rest time is receiving. Fatigue can cost you a lot if you don't rest. Now let me say this, some people rest too much. So you can take it to the extreme. Can I hear an amen? And being lazy is a sin. Can I hear an amen? And now we live in a generation where our young, some of our young people, not all, some of our young people, you know, they want to stay home and watch video games and smoke cigarettes and get a check from the government. That's not what I'm talking about. Can I hear an amen? You wait till I have children and my daughter starts dating someone. I'm, the first thing I'm going to check is their tithing record. Because ain't no daughter of mine going to date a thief. So number one. And number two, he's got to have a job and pull his pants up. A bunch of crazy Christians. You don't see Muslims out here dating Christians, do you? We have crazy Christians, parents letting their children date non-believers. I'll just move on. Now, you can't control your children after they're 18. We know that. But you can set the example while they're there. Can I hear an amen? So, it's up to you to do it. Listen, the job is always going to be there when you get back. The fire of desire is always going to be burning in you. It's not going to leave. You know. And I know as a pastor, I eat it, drink it. Brother Engel, you... You testify. You eat it. You drink it. You sleep it. I get up and eat my cereal and it says Christ point. You know what I'm saying? I eat my Fruit Loops and it just, you know, my Rice Krispie treats just, just pops and says Christ point. The bacon just says Christ point. You know what I'm saying? Everything about my life is church. Now, some of you just think about church once a week or twice a week. You don't really, you know, think about it that long. You know, because, you know, you're just, you have jobs. But this is my job. This is my life. I think about it. That doesn't make me more spiritual than you or vice versa. But this is what I do. And so I think about it. It's always going to be there when I get back. Can I hear an amen? It's always going to be there. Number three, the secret of your future. This is what I want you to remember. The secret of your future is hidden in your daily routine. Listen, how is a champion made a champion? A champion is not made a champion in the ring on Saturday morning. He is made a champion because he got up every morning at 5 o'clock and worked out at the gym and practiced. He was only noticed in the ring. But his daily routine taught him he was preparing to be a champion. And that's what I want you to listen. Reading the Bible can be boring at times. And you may not want to read it at first. But you've got to teach yourself discipline. And you've got to teach yourself you've got to do things you don't want to do. Listen, I don't want to go to work every day. I've got to make myself go at times. But when I get there, I'm glad I'm there. And it's like doing everything else. You may not want to do it at first, but you've got to develop a heart of discipline. It's called spiritual disciplines. We don't like that word. We like the word deliverance. We don't want the word discipline. We want to be delivered. But I promise you, there are things in our life that's dormant that we think we are delivered from. 
And that is why three years later that thing pops up again because we thought we were delivered from it when the issue was dormant. And the reason for it is because we have not taken the time to develop spiritual disciplines in our life to keep our flesh under control. And that's some good preaching right there. The secret of your future is in your daily routine. God has a plan. You've got to have a plan for your life. You can't just get up one day and say, boy, I'm just, you know, I'm just going. And we have a lot of people that just buckshot in their life. You know, you, you ask people, what did, you know, what did you do today? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. What did the preacher I don't know. You know, people are just so lackadaisical, you know. You just, you know, do you have a plan for your life? You know, how much debt do you have? Ah, I don't know. I've got so much. I don't even know. You know, there's no, you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a strategy. You've got to be focused. <laughs> Look to your neighbor and say, he preached to me this morning. I know tonight's all about you. In other words, Noah had a plan and he built the ark. Solomon had a plan and he built the temple. Moses had a plan, a heavenly plan, and he built the tabernacle. In other words, if you don't have a plan, you will fail. You may not have the best plan, but let's have a plan. The Bible says, Jesus said in Luke 14, verse 28, Luke chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus gives us an example about how we are to have a plan. He says in this parable, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Jesus goes on to say in verse number 29, Least after he has laid the foundation, he's not able to finish it, and all who see it begin to mock, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish Verse number 31, or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first to consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? In other words, Jesus said, let's not be too spiritual that you do not plan. You've got to have a plan. Plan. Sometimes we get so focused on mopping up the water that we forget that the faucet is still on. We're not paying attention that the water's still running and we're out mopping all the water and getting frustrated. We're frustrated and cussing and yelling, don't know where the water's coming from and you're trying to sweep up all the water and, and, and mop up all the water and you forgot that the faucet is still on because you haven't adequately set down to prepare where the problem was and what is the solution and how to fix this thing. We just want to pray about it. Yes, we need to pray, but God has given you a mouth He's given you hands. He's given you a mind. He's given you a, a logical mind where you could reason things out, where the Holy Spirit can be a teacher to you and help you to figure things out. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 6, listen to what Solomon, the man of great wisdom, says, He who walks with the wise is going to be wise. So if you walk with the nasty, you're going to be nasty. Somebody say amen. Can I hear an amen? you got to... Show me your friends and I will show you your future. Everybody say that with me. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. So if, if we're going to be successful, one of the things that we've got to know, church, is that we've got to be careful who we hang out with. Now this scripture is not up there. But, no, let, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. You see that? Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 6. Go back to Proverbs 6, verse 6. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 6. I want you to also see this scripture. I don't know if it's back there. You can find it for me. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. 
Solomon gives another example about how we need to prepare ourselves. He says, I want you to go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Why? Because an ant knows how to prepare. Knows how to prepare, knows how to build. And so, listen, one of the things I've learned in life is this, is that if we don't prepare, we may last a little bit, but we're going to end up failing, and it's going to be an embarrassment. At least if you have a plan and it doesn't work, you can go back and reevaluate what didn't work and improve the plan and go forward. Amen. Number four, I want you to see that the Bible, number four, I want you to remember, and in closing, I want you to see that relationships are the key. Relationships are the key in life. And I can't stress that enough. Relationships are the key. Not this church building. It's a nice building. Not your car, your house. They're nice. You work really hard to pay for that house. But the key in life is relationships. 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 Every relationship is going to affect you in life. There's four different types of people. You ready for this? There are people that will add to you. There are people that will subtract from you. There are people that will divide from you. And there will be people that will multiply you. There are people in your life right now that will add to you. People in your life that will subtract from you. People in your life that will divide from you. And people in your life that will multiply you. And you, every person in your life, whatever relationship you have, falls under those categories. They either add to your life, they subtract from your life, they divide your life, and they multiply your life. So some of the mess that we're in is because we're in wrong relationships. Is that person helping you to become more like Jesus? Or are they dividing your life? Are they dividing your heart? Are they subtracting God from your life? Are they adding goodness to your life? Are they adding more Jesus to your life? Do you want to be more like Jesus because you hang out with that person? The Bible says, look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 33. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33. The Apostle Paul was very clear about how relationships can affect your life. They either affect you for the good or they affect you negatively. And you've got to decide what relationships to keep. Paul said, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. People who are corrupt will eventually corrupt you. All right? If you hang out with enough of them, all right? It corrupts good habits. I believe that the scriptural mandate is for us to have contact without contamination. I'm in contact with the world. I see the world. I may even be in the world, but the world is not going to contaminate me. Contact without contamination. But the problem that we see in the world and the church is that the, the world is contaminating the church. And we don't know the balance. It's contact without contamination. Relationships are the key, folks. They're the key. Proverbs 13.20. That scripture again that I just read. Proverbs chapter 13.20. He said, if you walk with the wise, you're going to be wise. In other words, whoever you hang out with is going to affect how you live. And listen, even your relationship with your spouse, you can... Listen, people say, you know, uh, you know, once you're married, that's the will of God. That's the perfect will of God. I, I, you know, it's the will of God for you to stay married. 
But it may not be the will of God that you married that person because you were unequally yoked, you don't have the same values, you don't have the same thoughts, you don't have the same trajectory, and because you made a wrong decision, you're going to have to live with the decision because you made a covenant, and you're going to live in a situation that you might regret later. I see it all the time as a pastor. As a pastor, I see this all the time. I see husbands not wanting to go to church, and because of that, their behavior affects their wife, and she gives up. Vice versa. So I see it all the time. Jesus said, if you really love me, if you really love me, my message is going to divide households. And you've got to love me in spite of what happens at the household. And that's very hard to see because we have such emotional connections to people because of relationships. It's hard to let it go. That's why women will go back to men after they're beat because of an emotional connection to them. Relationships I've prayed for people. I, I've prayed with them. They rolled on the floor. I'm never going to go back to sister so-and-so. I'm not going to go back to brother Wally. Brother Wally cheated on me too many times, pastor. I know who I am in Jesus. I'm going to pack my bags, and I'm going to go the other direction. And I promise you, three days later, they're on Facebook talking about how wonderful he is. Because relationships are very important. They form an emotional tie to you that it's very hard to cut. Y'all know I'm preaching tonight. Very hard to cut. So relationships is the key. Every relationship in your life is either going to nourish your strengths or it's going to weaken you. What are your gifts and what are you doing with your gifts? God puts you in relationships so that you can use your gifts to promote the gospel, edify the church, and edify believers. Your gift is not to edify you. You ever met somebody that has a wonderful gift and they're all about themselves? You're like, well, first of all, that gift is not given to you to edify yourself. <laughs> it's given to edify the church. Joseph had a gift. It was to interpret dreams. And he used it on someone. Ruth had a nurturing gift. She took care of Naomi because you were called to use your gift to edify believers. Your gift may not be needed by everybody, but your gift is needed by somebody. Somebody needs your gift. Somebody needs you. Somebody needs you. Somebody needs you. And when somebody takes their life, there's three things that they will go through. Number one, a person who takes their life, number one, feels worthless. They feel like they have no value. Number two, they feel all alone. And number three, they're not afraid to die. And once a person crosses each of these boundaries, they take their life. They feel worthless, no value. They feel alone, and they're not afraid to die. Now what's the key, folks? They need somebody. They need somebody. They need to feel valuable to somebody. They need to feel like they're not alone. That's why small groups is important. You may hate going to small groups, but you see, as a mature Christian, it's not about you. You need to go to the group because there might be somebody there that you can minister to and you could be a mother in the faith to them or a father in the faith to them. It's not about you. It's not about edifying you. It's about you being the hands and feet of Jesus to somebody in that group. Can I hear an amen? 
It's not about isolation. It's about community. They feel worthless. They feel all alone. So what are the things that I want you to remember? I want you to remember, number one, that you will never possess what you're unwilling to pursue. Number two, you've got to learn that fatigue can be costly. You've got to rest. It's going to cost you. Number three, you've got to learn that the secret of your future is hidden in your daily routine. Number four, relationships are truly the key. Truly, they're the key. These are the things I want you to remember as we go forth in 2020.